You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, welcome to episode 104 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchot and this is the show for May 2022. It's a solo show this month, uh, just little old me having a little um, chat in your ear. Um, in fact, make it a little bit controversial this time. I have a strong opinion and I'd like to share it with you and you can either agree with me or not. Um, I don't really care. Um, I'm going to do my best to make my case. You might think I'm a complete idiot, or you might think I have a point. Whatever happens, happens. So the title of the show is, It's More Than Okay to Process. And what I literally mean by that is that not only do I think that it's acceptable, okay, tolerable to process your photos, or to edit them, as some people would call it, I don't think that's okay. I do think it's okay, but I don't just think it's okay. I think it's actually required. Uh, I, I think it's it's part of the process. If you don't process your images, I think you haven't finished them. I, I think you've left the job half done. I think you're like a carpenter who puts all of their work into creating a beautiful chair and then doesn't bother to varnish your paint and just sods off. Like I really do think that you need to take control of the final step of the process here, because otherwise you're not actually completing the art of photography. So I this has been niggling at me for quite some time, possibly years. Uh, but the reason it's ended up being a topic uh, is because in the last couple of weeks, since the last time I recorded an episode, three little anecdotes have happened, which together have just sort of pushed me over the edge. So after I posted the last show where I had uh, myself and Jeff Gamut had a very fun discussion on the winners of the Apple Macro Photography Competition, I got some pushback on Twitter I wasn't expecting. Basically, the opinion was expressed that using an app to process an image was cheating. So whether it was the Photos app or whether it was Snapseed or whatever, if you were doing something beyond pushing the shutter and submitting it into the competition, you were a cheat. And needless to say, I couldn't disagree more. Not processing your images would have meant that A, you weren't going to win, and B, you weren't even taking part. You were just doing a token job. You know, you made a chair didn't bother with the hard work of sandpapering and varnishing it, and you just submitted it in the hope it'll be grand. Needless to say, I don't think myself on the Twitter poster in question agree on this matter. Um, but as I say, I have a strong opinion on this. And that was niggling away. I mean, I was probably going to record something. I was leaning towards doing this as a topic, and then I was listening to uh, an episode of uh, the Street Chats Photography Podcast with Antonio Rosario. And I heard Antonio describe, not for the first time, that he often gets pushback on Twitter for his beautiful sunset um, and, I guess, sunrise uh, skyscapes. And they're beautiful photographs. And some people seem to want to harangue Antonio because those colours can't be natural. 
What does that even mean? And, you know, it's a photograph. So if Antonio felt that the scene was warm and comforting and he edited his photo to make it warm and comforting, that's called art. That is actually what photography is about. That is called communicating through a photograph. That's not something to apologize for or something that you're guilty of. That's called doing the job. So, you know, it makes me very sad that people have such bizarre critiques of Antonio's photos. And then just yesterday morning, my own mum was like, no, forget me nots aren't that blue. Well, actually, they are that blue. And uh, that photograph captured the beautifulness of the forget me not perfectly. <laughs> okay, if even my own mum is making exactly these arguments, I should probably talk about it on the podcast. Uh, and I'm not criticizing my mum. But it's just funny that, no, forget me not flowers, you know, almost identical comments to Antonio Sunset. So I actually want to start by taking a step back because the reason I have such strong opinions about processing is because as a nerdy type person, I like to know how everything works. And so to me, photography is is a full process with a whole bunch of stuff going on. and. You can go back to 1839, to the day that Daguerre announced the discovery of photography, leaving aside the fact that other people bet him to it. But anyway, that's sort of what we consider the birth time of photography. If you go back to 1839, the process then was a two-step process. You did something to record some light. That recording of the light was not a photograph, it was a recording of light, and then there was a second step to convert that recorded light into a visual image, i.e. a photograph. And that has not changed. The mechanism has changed. So in the early days of photography, it was a chemical process where you would develop the, usually a negative, but it could have been a positive, depends on quite how far back in history you go, but you would develop the chemically captured light into a photograph of some kind. And you did that with chemicals in a darkroom. And when we moved to digital photography, we didn't, that second step didn't evaporate. That second step simply changed. You now have a bunch of, well, electrons actually sitting in little buckets, but let's say we've gone beyond the electrons in the buckets and we've gone as far as ones and zeros in a file. You don't have something to look at. You have data. You have a recording of some data. You do not have a photograph. And that recording has to be converted into a photograph and, you know, developed is a pretty good word for it. And that is done through software. And that software is just making a guess. Now, whether it's software or chemistry, the process has never been mechanistic. It has always been, at the very least, a craft and quite often an art. So a photographer would take their photo, bring it into the dark room, and develop that into the final product. And they were being creative at both points in the process. The develop you know, the dark room work was creative work. The job was literally only half done when you push the shutter. And that isn't different. That isn't change in the digital age. It's just different because now it is how did ones and zeros get translated into a photo that that matters, not 
what chemicals you use to make the translation from an invisible recording to a visible recording. But the creativity hasn't gone anywhere. We, we've sort of been tricked into forgetting about the creativity because it's been outsourced. So I think since the 70s or 80s, I'm not exactly sure when the, the whole one-hour photo thing came, became a thing. Maybe it was earlier. Anyway, for a long time, even with chemical photography, regular folk who took a photograph skipped. They, they didn't do step two themselves. Step two was still done. But it was not done by the person who pushed the shutter button. Step two was outsourced to a photo lab of some kind. Uh, But that doesn't mean the creativity is gone. It just means the creativity is moved. So depending on whether, you know, depending on the exact nature of the photography service that you outsource to, though the artistry moves about a bit. But at the end of the day, there is a machine which has been defined De, you know, developed by human beings and tuned and tweaked by human beings. That is a creative process. That machine has been created to turn the most photographs, sorry, the most negatives into decent photographs, right? So you want the average negative to produce an okay photograph. And so if the machines were completely automated, you know, in your typical one-hour photo thing, then all of the creativity was done by the engineers. But actually, a lot of the machines weren't completely automated. They were tuned and tweaked and tinkered with each and every single time they were used by an operator who was actually putting in a lot of effort to get your photographs to come out looking as best as they could. So the creativity was simply moved. So, right, in in the end of the chemical age, it was still happening. That second process was still there. The creativity was in the hands of engineers and or operators. Or you continue to work in your own darkroom. You're an artist. And in the digital age, the only thing that's changed is that we're not talking about mechanical and chemical engineers. We're talking about software engineers. So it's chips and algorithms that are doing the work now. So an awful, awful lot of our phone cameras, or digital cameras, frankly, the same thing is true. The actual hardware chip is identical in them across a whole bunch of different vendors because it's just a mechanism for recording light. It just turns light into ones and zeros. There's no creativity there. It's just a raw capturing of the light. The creativity comes in turning those ones and zeros into a photograph you can look at. And different brands of phone or camera will produce different feeling images because the engineers had different opinions on what, you know, good enough looks like. Particularly noticeable is that the Samsung phones have a real tendency to make the colours pop. The algorithms in the Samsung phones are really tweaked for strong, vibrant colour. That's not naturalistic, right? That's a creative decision by the engineers who built the software in the default camera on the Android phone. It is still a creative process. It's just been outsourced. Now, when you outsource a creative process to an algorithm, that algorithm cannot do the best possible job on each specific photo. The best you can hope for from an algorithm is to do a decent job on as many as possible photographs. The average image should result in a decent photo. Right, so on average, you should get something that's okay. 
that's very, very different to getting the best possible rendering of your specific image. You have taken a specific image and you want to get the best out of it. That is a very, very different question to an algorithm that does a grand job as often as possible. Right? We have one specific image and we want that at its best. The way you get it at your best is to un-outsource step two. Reassert control of that conversion from ones and zeros to a final image. That is basically post-processing, or if you're being, you know, often pejorative, editing your photo. But it's not editing, it's finishing the process. It's just instead of letting the algorithm made by the engineers finish it for you, you're just doing it yourself, because if you want the job done right, do it yourself. So, at the most... Right, a lot of the time in our modern cameras, what you actually do is you don't fully take over yourself. What you do is you let the engineers, who, let's face it, are very well paid and know what they're doing, let them have a first go, and you will then end up with an image that is grand, that is okay, might even be nice. But it's not the best the image can be, right? It's not optimized for that specific image. So what you then do is you do some more tweaks of your own. So you accept the work of the engineers, you accept the creativity of the software developers, and then you build on it to optimize your specific photo to the best that it can be. And so just reassert some of the control and, you know, accept the outsourcing, but take more of it. Okay, great. You're now in control. You're, you're now the one holding on to this, the proverbial steering wheel, making things go places. Where would you like to go? If you're a photojournalist, now, we like to say that you're not allowed to edit. But, photo, you know, a, name, a photograph in a newspaper, or on a news website, let's face it, these days, isn't magic. It hasn't skipped step two. Step two still happens. It's just that the, the ethics of step two are such that the aim must be as realistic a rendering of the scene as possible. So the photograph should look like the scene did. Or at least we trust the photojournalist to not lie to us through, you know, warming the image more than it was, or you know, dodging and burning to de-emphasize something. We, we're trusting that the photographer is attempting to make the camera be what it never can be, which is a completely neutral recording device. It can't do that, right? Everything involves opinions. The question is just whose opinions and what the aims are of the people with the opinions. So there is no hard and fast line that a photo journalistic photo is not edited. No, it's, it's a fuzzy, grey, moral line where we approximate it to no editing. That's not what's going on. What's actually going on is post-processing. It's just post-processing an attempt to make that post-processing as invisible as possible. Right? It's completely, totally and utterly normal for a photograph in a newspaper to have had its exposure tweaked a little bit because at the end of the day, the camera may not have guessed right. Right. It may look too dark. That's not helpful if you can't see the image properly. Right? That's not being more honest. That's just an image that needs to be tweaked a bit because it isn't 
finished. It hasn't been varnished yet. So basically, photojournalism is like a perfectly clear varnish. You're trying to varnish your chair with an utterly unopinionated varnish that will make the pine look like pine, the mahogany look like mahogany, etc., etc., etc. You're not going to use a stain to give the pine a more reddish feel, right? I may be stretching this analogy too far, but you get what I mean. But we like to say photojournalists don't edit, but no, they do. It's just they try to be subtle about it. And where is the line? Yeah, there isn't one. It's a great big fuzzy thing, right? And one of the easiest ways to see that there's a fuzzy line is with the editing of skin tones, right? So you have a photograph and you have brightness sliders. Uh, Where do you put the skin tone of a coloured person? And this, the fact, this is happening every single day in every single newspaper all over the world. But it was really brought out during the O.J. Simpson trial when major newspapers ran the same photograph, but the skin tone looked different on different newspapers. Some had darkened it to make O.J. look as African-American as possible, and some had lightened it to make him look as Caucasian as possible. Some papers were castigating him as a villain, and some as innocent. That made a lot of people think. But the thing is, every photograph in a newspaper has had tweaks applied to it. At the very least, by an algorithm written by humans. But it's probably been, you know, finished by a human-human. Finishing it off, because he can't put garbage images into a newspaper. That's not what people expect from photojournalism. They expect the images to look right. Okay, thankfully, I'm not a photojournalist. Chances are high you're not either. So you don't have to try find this fuzzy line that's really difficult to find that everyone will shout at you if you step across. You're an artist. You're photographing creatively. You're photographing to have fun, I hope. And what you choose to optimize for, or to maximize, or to accentuate, or whatever, to express, doesn't have to be realism. Right? You, you can be hyper-realistic. Right? You can decide to use the processing to emphasize textures, to make things feel grittier. You can choose to do the opposite. And choose to give something a dreamy, romantic feel by dialing back the detail, smoothing out the contrast, warming up the colours. Right? That's you being creative. You can aim to make the photograph feel like you felt in the place as opposed to look like it looked. And a sunset is a perfect example if it's a warm happy feeling idyllic sunset you will nudge the warmth of the image up so that it feels right you'll do it subconsciously and you might do it even more when you think about it a little bit more that's not cheating that's just varnishing your chair only in this case you've decided that actually the pine would do better if we emphasize the grain by using a a subtle stain to just highlight the grain a little bit and then varnish it with a clear varnish on top of the subtle stain. 
Or you might decide that actually you want to capture the essence of the chair. So maybe in photographic editing terms, that means that you're going to allow something to become a silhouette. Right? You're going to tweak the exposure such that all detail is lost in something. Well, now you've just painted your chair white. Perfectly valid thing to do. You're an artist. Do whatever you like. But regardless of whether you, you're painting or varnishing your chair with the intent of making it express something that you feel or, you know, or whether you're trying to make it quote unquote realistic, you still need to do the work to get the image to be what it can be. Letting the algorithm made by the engineer have a go isn't finishing the job. You need to take control and then use that control to do what you, the creative, want to do. So the next time someone's cranky at you because you edited your image, no, you're just a carpenter who believes in finishing the job. You just varnished your chair. And, assuming you're not a photojournalist, you are free to varnish that chair whatever the heck way you like. You be you, you're producing art. Have at it. But remember, it's not just okay to process your images. It's more than okay. It's part of the job. Okay, I think I've done that concept to death, but you can see that I'm quite exercised about that. Anyway, I will end, as I always do, by thanking all of the supporters of the show. Um, you will find show notes, although it's really just bullet points outlining my little rant here. Um, you'll find them at lessastalk.ie. And in the sidebar, you'll find big blue buttons titled Support the Show. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who does support the show or ever has supported the show. This is a completely ad and sponsor free show. This that leaves me the liberty to say whatever I want to say. And I love that. I absolutely adore the fact that I don't have to be making the show appealing to sponsors to get it made. You guys make that possible. Without listeners supporting the show, the show wouldn't exist. And support takes all sorts of forms, you know, financial as well as just spreading the word telling a friend that is all supporting the show. So anyone who has in any way ever supported the show, thank you very much. In terms of the practicalities, like paying the bills and so forth, and the bills have gone slightly up because of a very annoying nuance in how DigitalOcean do their content delivery networks. Um, my bills have gone up by €30 Euro a year this month. It's not a big deal, but it just makes me mildly cranky. But anyway, there are the practicalities of paying the bills. and. A whole bunch of you support me in that aspect of the show using Patreon and PayPal. And, you know, I thank everyone who supports the show in any way, but the Patreon people in particular are so greatly appreciated because the Patreon money comes in every month. The bills come in every month. The aim is to have one match the other. And the YouTube, sorry, not the YouTube, the um, PayPal support is really handy because it lets me do one-off expenses, like, say, upgrade to the latest version of Audio Hijack, which is a really cool upgrade to the software I used to record the show that has been released that I haven't purchased yet. Um, Or I get new mics, and I think I need a new boom arm. So anyway, thank you to everyone who has ever supported the show in any way. Details at lessashtalk.ie. Until next time, I've been your host, Bart Bouchatz, and happy snapping.
You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome. Thank you.